You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional, Nicole Sandler on NicoleSandler.com. We shall overcome, we shall overcome, we shall overcome someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I know that I do believe we shall overcome. Joan Baez with Tennessee Representative, former and future, I guess, uh, Justin Jones. They met, get this, uh, Justin Jones and the, the other two of the Tennessee Three were leaving Nashville, heading to New York, I'm sure, for some media appearances. And who happens to come upon them in the airport? Actually, she was on the same flight as they were. Joan Baez, and that was Justin Jones uh, singing with Joan Baez, We Shall Overcome, in the airport. Now, I, I don't know if that was before the flight or after the flight. Doesn't really matter. Either way, quite cool. Um, but unfortunately, we know who Justin Jones is because of a mass shooting in Nashville a couple of weeks ago that killed six people three babies, three nine-year-old kids in their elementary school. By the way, we learned today that the governor of Tennessee, who is, you know, uh, not a good man, had a friend who, one of the adults, was a friend of his who was killed in that shooting. This morning, just as I'm finishing, uh, finishing producing What's News, it's a feature that I do every morning, and um, just as I was wrapping it up, came the word of another shooting, this one in Louisville, Kentucky. Turns out five people are dead. It appears that the shooter was one of those. And at least six more people were taken to the hospital with 
major injuries from this mass shooting in Louisville, Kentucky today. The governor of Kentucky knows two people who were killed in that shooting at a bank. Governor of Kentucky is a good guy. Andy Bashir is his name. He would, uh, he's Democrat, but he's, he's in a state where um, the Republicans have a supermajority in the state legislature, and therefore they are able to undo whatever good he does because they can override any veto. This is why it's so important that we, people on this side of the aisle, go, well, I think they're saying, Charlotte's in the chat room, she said now they're saying four dead. I think it's four victims plus the shooter. There's your five dead. Um, because the shooter, I guess, it doesn't qualify as a human. And in my book, he doesn't. Sorry. But, however, um, you know, this is, we have problems in this country, which is what brings us to today's guest. Now, on Friday, you may recall, I told you, be here Monday, because we're going to talk with Joan Biskupic, if I'm not mispronouncing her name. She is the chief... Uh, legal whatever for CNN. And she's got a brand new book out called Nine Black Robes. And the book is just launching and we were supposed to talk today. And I got a message early this morning from the publisher, the publicist at the publishing house saying, I'm so sorry. We need to postpone. Joan was called in by CNN and that is her day job. And so we have to cancel some of the interviews we had set up because she's got to work because the Supreme Court, there's a lot of breaking news there. Yeah, there is, which I thought I would ask her about, but we'll reschedule with her and we'll do it another day. In the meantime, one of my favorite authors and favorite guests, Jeff Charlotte, has a book out. Um, for whatever reason, it's the, it's called The Undertow, Scenes from a Slow Civil War. You know how they used to say it's it's creeping fascism? Well, it's not creeping at all. It's here. And and Jeff Charlotte, who used to shy away from using the word, the F word, the fascism word, is now saying slow civil war. He's not saying coming civil war. He's saying slow civil war. So, um, you know, and Jeff Charlotte knows this stuff firsthand because he travels around the country, actually around the world. But for this book, he traveled around the country and he talks to people. Now, he was here a few months ago as an excerpt from the book was published, I think, in Esquire, maybe Vanity Fair, because Jeff Charlotte's excerpted everywhere. And the scene that he described in Wisconsin was so disturbing that, of course, I invited him on and we talked about it. And he said, well, when the book comes out, we'll we'll go a little further. Well, for whatever reason, I was left off the initial list of shows they sent it to. So I'm a little late from publishing date. Um, but so Jeff and I were trying to figure out when we can slide him in. And I had this cancellation today and he's like, let's do it today. So Jeff Charlotte will be along in about 10 minutes or so. Um, oh, Winston said, I have Jeff, Jeff's book coming to me now. been waiting to read it bad. Here's the thing about Jeff Charlotte. You know, he teaches writing at Dartmouth college up in New Hampshire. And um, his type of writing is, I, I, I'll have to ask him the name of it because I'm drawing a blank right now. But he he intertwines great storytelling with nonfiction writing. 
And it's a very descriptive narrative type of writing he does. And he's a brilliant writer. Now, I first heard of Jeff Charlotte. Oh, God, it's got to be 15 years ago already. Well, 2008 is when the book The Family came out. And he followed that up with um, um, a C Street, which was all about, you know, the family and their little house there in Washington, D.C. It's like a, a boarding house for these religious zealots in government. Uh, and we learned um, more than we wanted to know, but less than we need to know about what happens in those hallowed halls and who inhabits them. But now... Jeff has basically assembled essays that he's written, I, I want to say, over the last 10 years if things, if, as things have gotten progressively worse, more fascistic, if that's a word. Um, and, you know, a lot of these tendencies existed before Donald Trump bullied his way into politics and the head of the Republican Party. But um, he hastened its explosion. You know, I think it was a combination of Trump, the Internet, because this shit wouldn't have spread without the Internet, and the pandemic, where people were shut in for the better part of a couple of years and spent probably an inordinate amount of time on the interwebs going down rabbit holes. And then you have... The social media companies from Google at YouTube giving people ever more um, crazy, you know, uh, rabbit holes to to transverse. You know, they lead them down there. They say, well, if you like this, you might like this video and you might like that video. And it's their algorithms that send you down a path that has radicalized people. And it happens on Twitter. It happens on Facebook. It happens on, you know, some of the right-wing um, outlets that I don't frequent. Um, but the ones that you think are harmless, you know, YouTube, you're sitting watching videos. Well, they always recommend other videos for you to see. And the algorithms, I don't know how they pick them, but they do. And we'll talk to Jeff about this because one of the people that he really – uh, profiles in this book, in the undertow, is Ashley Babbitt. I didn't know much about Ashley Babbitt other than the fact that, yeah, she was killed on January 6th. We watched it happen in real time, even though, you know, the maggots on the right tell you that, um, uh, you, you know, the, in their in their opposite world narrative, that she didn't do anything illegal. She wasn't breaking in. She wasn't armed. She was she was just murdered by a black police officer. Well, the fact of the matter is, they had broken through they had broken into the Capitol. None of them were invited. It was closed to the public that day. They broke in. They they uh, they vandalized much of it. There was shit on the floors and the walls of Congress, not your typical tourist day in the Capitol. And then they made their way to the outside of the of the House chambers where there was business happening on the other side of those doors. And one Capitol Police officer on the other side of the first group of doors before you get to the doors leading into the House chamber, and they broke through the glass 
in the doorframe, and Ashley Babbitt was shimmying her way through the broken glass, the broken window, to get inside where members of Congress were doing the people's work. And the officer said, you know, get down or whatever he said, you know, I've got a gun. People said he has a gun. And Ashley Babbitt was still pushing through. Well, I'd expect nothing less from that officer than to shoot. His job is to protect the members of Congress that are on the other side of that door where she's starting to go in. And, and you know, the, the right-wingers are trying to make her out to be a martyr. Well, she did this to herself. She put herself in that position. She went through the broken glass. She was trying to break into the House chambers when she was killed because of what she was doing. What I didn't know is that Ashley Babbitt was radicalized by these maggots. Ashley Babbitt was a Democrat, twice voted for Barack Obama. So what makes somebody who was at least somewhat sensible, you know, didn't vote for John McCain, didn't vote for Mitt Romney, but voted twice for Barack Obama, what could have caused this shift? You see, and I, I hold myself up as an average person, an average citizen. And I I don't think, I mean, I know for a fact, there's nothing, nothing that anybody could tell me or any rabbit hole down which I could follow on the interwebs that would make me all of a sudden embrace these nut jobs on the right. I mean, and, and, you know, and nut job is, I, I know it may sound inflammatory, but it fits. If it fits, you must, uh, sorry. Um, They talk about, in all seriousness, Democrat, like you heard Marge, Marge Q. Green, on 60 Minutes, an interview that was a travesty, um, proclaiming that Democrats are pedophiles. And and Leslie Stahl pushed back a little bit and uh, said, pedophiles? And Marge held her ground and Leslie Stahl just, you know, raised her eyebrows and said, wow, well, that's not enough of a pushback. Sorry. Uh, I promise you there there may be some pedophiles that happen to be Democrats, but the Democratic Party is not made up of pedophiles. Doesn't work that way. And then. If that's not crazy enough for you, they've decided that. We, by we, I'm saying Democrats, I am a registered Democrat, even though I don't really toe the party line very often. Democrats eat babies. And when you think, okay, that's just insane. It is. It's completely batshit fucking off the wall crazy. But they believe it. Now, maybe it's because of the whole... um we love the poorly educated thing. And you wonder why they're trying to kill public education. Well, that's why. That's why. Um, yeah, Seth says, I'm sorry knowing that about Bobbit Babbitt. It's hard for me to have any sympathy for her. I have no sympathy for her. I'm just wondering what could cause somebody who allegedly was Democrat, voted twice for Obama, go not only turn to the dark side, but go on January 6th to the Capitol and try to break in 
to the the House of Representatives? I I I just I I can't imagine what it could be. But Jeff Charlotte knows, and you know why he knows? Because he has gone around the country in a car, and he talks to people. Now, years ago, and I've been interviewing Jeff Charlotte for many years, uh, and I've said it many times, one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite guests. And um, it, 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 he, one of my favorite pieces from him was a magazine article that I think might have been in GQ, and he went to the Soviet, not the Soviet Union, he went to the former Soviet Union, he went to Russia, where gay people are not allowed to be. But, uh, sorry, there are gay people everywhere. And he went and sort of infiltrated their ranks and, and got to know them and then got to know some of the right-wing Russians who are so anti-homosexual that, um, you know, he pulls back the curtain around this insanity. And um, I'm glad he does because he's giving us knowledge that we need. Jeff Charlotte is calling this a slow civil war. Again, we used to call it creeping fascism. And Jeff Charlotte rebelled against the word fascism. He said in in his book, um, I think it was in The Family, he said something to the effect of uh, he called it the F word. And let's see, he wrote here, here's in an interview, here's what he said. In my first book, The Family, I wrote a chapter called The F Word. The F Word was fascism. I was writing about the family's recruitment of Nazi war criminals after World War II. Until recently, I never used it like a lot of folks. I said, look, there is more than one kind of bad under the sun, and this isn't fascists, fascist, and you need to build perspective. But he said, now, we have fascism, and it's not just here. It's a global fascist movement. Yes, Durbin's asking in the chat room, will the Charlotte interview be live? It will be live. Jeff will join us any moment. I keep looking over here because I'll see him come in on the Zoom computer, and I'll bring him in and we'll talk. While we're waiting for him, I, I needed a little energy boost today, so my afternoon smoothie is another coffee drink. No I didn't go to Starbucks, the Union Buster, or to any other overpriced coffee shop. Mm. I just made my own um, coffee drink. It's coffee with a little bit of uh, cacao, cocoa, you know, raw, good for you chocolate, a lot of ice, a little bit of milk, a little bit of sweetener. And oh my God, it's better than anything I get at Starbucks. I put a ton of ice in it. Blend it up, and I have my afternoon pick-me-up and a delicious, tasty, almost decadent mm, treat. So you can do this, too, every day with BlendJet 2. So BlendJet.com is where you get it. It's a wonderful little portable blender. It's it's nice and, and fairly quiet. Yeah. I'm going to put the top on it to show you. It's 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 quiet. Now I've already blended this up and the ice is already crushed, but listen to how it's not very not very um um you know loud. It blends up. You can re-blend it, you can make it, take it with you in the car, take it to work, take it to the beach, take it to the gym and have your own fresh smoothie whenever you want it. Go to blendjet.com, use the promo code FEEDME12. You get a 12% discount, free 2-day shipping, and these make wonderful gifts too. So, blendjet.com, 
uh, uh, promo code FEEDME12. Two-day shipping, free two-day shipping, and a 12% discount. Mother's Day is right around the corner, so there you go. And B just said in the chat room, I love my Blendjet makes great smoothies. Yes, and Fantomas said, blend a banana in it to make a creamy smoothie. Oh, the options are endless. And we're just coming into berry season. Straw. Oh, my God. David brought home this giant thing of Driscoll's strawberries that are bright red and so sweet. Oh, they make the best smoothies. So I should try a Mexican mocha. Okay, Linnell, you, you give me the information on the Mexican mocha and I'll do it. Uh, maybe we'll do that tomorrow. All right. So I see I see Jeff is here. Let me just get his shot all set up um, uh, and um, uh, hold on. Uh, well, I can bring in his his audio anyway. Hey, Jeff Charlotte. Hi, Nicole. Let me grab some headphones because okay. I'm at a place with a dog that is uh, very excited about the Nicole Sanders. Uh, show, so well, we love dogs around here, so that's OK. I'm, I'm actually um, I'm uh, uh, making our getting our shot together because, you know, I do everything here. Chief cook, bottle washer. Uh, <laughs> uh, video director, and I'm not always very good at that. And um, yeah, but you know, we make it happen somehow or another. So anyway, as I was telling you before, as we were waiting, Jeff Charlotte, uh, the new book is out. It's been out a few weeks now. I'm just a little late to the party. It's called The Undertow, Scenes from a Slow Civil War. And again, it, Jeff, it's no longer, you know, we've heard the the phrase creeping fascism and um, you shied away from that word for a long time. Now it's no longer creeping. It's just slow. And it is a civil war. And you do talk about fascism these days. It's not creeping. And I think, you know, in uh, in the past, in, in, in my 2008 book, The Family, uh, I re- wrote a chapter called The F Word. Uh, and the F word to me then was was fascism. And I was writing about um, figures who were in the post-war World War II period were actually recruiting Nazi war criminals. And even so, I said, look, they don't meet the criteria of fascists. It's not that they're not as bad, but there's more than one kind of bad under the sun. Um, and I think it's important. In 2015, when I started covering Trump, I saw the potential for a fascist formation. I saw the return of the strongman politics we'd exported overseas come home to roost. Since January 6, 2021, uh, I think the only word that we can use to accurately describe with historical reference this movement is fascism. I say the only word, look, I don't care if people want to do something else, but I do think it's important partly because it does gesture us toward the history and ask us to think more deeply than, you know, oh, I I know all about fascism. I saw Schindler's List. Now we realize I need to understand this ideology. I need to know how it works. I need to understand the way it can game the press. I need to know about the way that it doesn't flourish despite buffoonery, but through buffoonery. All these elements that tempt us to dismiss it uh, are what makes it potent now. And that's what I describe in the book as the undertow that's been pulling us sort of out to sea for some time now. You know, I, 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 I'm still living in Florida, hopefully not for too much longer, but I, I'm a, I'm a beach bum. I love swimming in the ocean. It's one of the few things I really like about down here. And I know what happens when you get sucked into an undertow. It pulls you and it's really hard to get back to the shore. They teach you to swim, you know, parallel to the shore to get out of the ravages of the undertow. It's a great analogy because it seems like people are sucked into this this 
theology or this this belief that just gets weirder and weirder. And I was saying before you came on that I think what got us here, and who knows, but it's a combination of a number of things, but some of them include the internet, um, the pandemic, where people were uh, shut in for a couple of years and spent a, an inordinate amount of time on the internet. And then you have these algorithms from these companies that take people down rabbit holes. Is that how most people got radicalized over the last few years? Do you ascribe to that? I mean, I've been traveling across the country back and forth, back and forth since January 6, 2021, talking to all sorts of people. And and I think you're absolutely right. In fact, there's a chapter in the book called TikTok, which is, as you know, uh, a QAnon theme. And in it, I describe the story of a, uh, a young woman named Evelyn. And I call her Evelyn um, uh, because there's hope for her still. And because, frankly, there are Evelyns everywhere. This Evelyn happened to be in Austin, Texas. Hipster, young, liberal, pandemic lockdown, friend sends her QAnon for, uh, as she puts it, shits and giggles. Um, and uh, and then there's a turning point where the friend is sort of like thinks that they're texting about laughing at it and slowly realizes that Evelyn is being consumed by it until one day Evelyn got in her car and uh, believing that she was going to take on the cabal for President Trump, the, the child-sacrificing cabal, uh, 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 rammed into two other cars, which for no reason she thought were were uh, abducting children. Thank God no one was hurt. But Evelyn's life is ruined. Evelyn's going to go to prison. Uh, those other people, they're traumatized. That didn't make national news. That didn't even make local news. It was an item, a line item in a, 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 a Texas paper. And someone else said, hey, I wonder what's there. They alerted me. And uh, I looked at it. And once we start talking to Evelyn's friends and looking at Evelyn's social media, we understand, we can reconstruct the story of that, how that happened. And I think that's really important because there's a real temptation when we speak of fascism. And this is the reason why a lot of people resist calling someone fascist. It's it's like it's a, a you know, nobody's born a fascist. It's not an innate identity, right? Um, uh, people become fascist. Sometimes they don't realize it's happening to them. Again, the undertow, you don't realize you're that far away from right. shore. Um, I think we need to recognize that and contend with it. Uh, and that means also seeing the human and those who have deemed us inhuman. Right. Um, you know, and you talk about the story of this person running into the car. And well, today or yesterday or over the weekend, the governor of Texas said he's going to pardon a guy, Daniel Perry, who'd been found guilty of murder on Friday in the death of a protester, Black Lives Matter. And uh, the guy said on, on, on social media, I'm going to go out and kill some of these people today. They're in my neighborhood. I don't like it. And, and it sounds like Abbott was shamed into pardoning this guy. And it looks like he's probably going to. This, this is, I would say, a slippery slope, but we're past that. It's, it's not a slippery slope. It's the process by which fascism advances. So in the book, I write, I do write a lot about January 6, 2021, because you know I've been covering right-wing movements for 20 years. I do. And, um, but even so, even though I, I saw what was happening after the 2020 election, I saw it as a slow coup, even though I knew it was possible, I still watched in horror, and I admit, disbelief, right? It was, and I realized that was because it was sort of a turning point. 
Um, it was a new theological movement within the Trumpacy, what I call borrowing from my friend Jeff Ruoff, a filmmaker, this term, the Trumpacy, the age of Trump, which continues with or without Trump. Right. As, as one Nebraska pastor uh, tells me, he says that Trump's coming back, whether the man himself or the spirit in the flesh of another. So I, I think uh, when you start looking at that chaos that happens on January 6th, and we see the recent arraignment, right? And everyone's wondering, is there going to be another January 6th? No, there will be no more January 6th because we are in the time, we are now living in January 6th. It's an age of martyrdom of Ashley Babbitt, the central figure in my book, yeah. the woman killed uh, at, at January 6th, um, and an age of myth in which anyone can become a folk hero. I look at, uh, what's his name, Daniel Perry, the uh, army sergeant, uh, 35-year-old army ser sergeant, uh, convicted of murder for killing 28-year-old uh, Garrett Foster, mm -hmm. uh, also uh, a man who served. Now, Garrett Foster brings an AK-47 to a protest. I don't advise it. Nor um, do I, but Texas is an open carry state, so it's legal for them. Uh, not that I'm I don't saying... want to go down too far on that line, and I think we make a mistake on that. And okay. frankly, because Kyle Rittenhouse was legal bringing that gun to. Don't bring your guns exactly. to town, as the Johnny Cash song goes. <laughs> but, um, but, I, but it was a murder. Nonetheless, it was a murder. Um, and I think what we see happening in Tennessee, in Texas, in Florida, in Idaho, which is just passing a law criminalizing even the transportation for abortion, and Kansas, which is licensing genital inspectors. I mean, these are nightmares from a, a children's you know, bad dream. I think what we have seen is January 6th trickling up. Mm -hmm. It's the institutionalization of that violence that was a turning point. There's not going to be another January 6th because it's happening right now in Texas, in Tennessee, in Florida, in Idaho, in New Hampshire, where my kids go to school, in Wisconsin. Um, the legislatures are institutionalizing it. And that, I think, is is... That's what I want people to take away from this book is partly to understand fascism is not an in, it's not inert. It's not static. Um, it is. I mean, this is no compliment. An imaginative social movement. I mean, not just because it lives in delusion and thrives on delusion, mm -hmm. um, but because it can be nimble. It can move quickly. It can fill space that is left empty. And if we convince ourselves our fascists are just a bunch of dumb, you know, you hear people making fun of the weight of militia guys, which is not my problem with them, their weight. My yeah, right. problem with them is their fascism. <laughs> oh, they're just a bunch of overweight guys. Yeah, that's not the yeah. problem. Right. That's not the problem. And those guys are gaining ground. We're not. Right. Um, you know, th there's so many different things and you cover a lot in this book. And the, and the thing is, these are your first hand observances. You traveled the country numerous times. You went to these rallies. You stood in line with them. You didn't, you weren't in the press pen. You were with them, talking to them. So you got to know a lot of these people as humans. And everything is not so black and white as many of us would make it out to be. Oh, they're the crazy nut jobs, but they're also human beings. And in some places, you found some comedy with them on some subjects, not on others. Um, and and so you're dealing with these whole people who you've met. We're dealing with more of concepts. I don't know a whole lot of uh, 
proud boys or three percenters. And I hope I never do. You, you think you don't. Right. But I, pro- I live in Florida, so maybe I do. They probably live right around me. Um, it, this, this is sort of a non sequitur, but I got to ask you, because a lot of times you refer to the Christian right. Mm-hmm. Is this a religious movement? Is this, are they all quote Christians? And, and I, I have a saying where I feel as an atheist Jew, I'm more Christian than a lot of these so-called Christians because I believe in, you know, being kind to other people. I believe in, you know, the, believe in the teachings of Christ, not as a religion, but as a way of life. And it seems like these self-professed Christian nationalists do not. Well, let's not fetishize the teachings of Christ. Christ also says, I come not to bring peace, but the sword. Right? Mm, okay. They can't, there is a war faith in that Bible. And look, religions are vast. I don't get into you're a fake Christian, you're a real Christian. It doesn't do anything. Maybe it makes me feel better, maybe it doesn't. Um, yes, this is a religious movement. It's a Christian nationalist movement that absorbs there are right-wing Jews involved. There are right-wing Muslims involved. There are, right, there are a lot of right-wing American Hindus involved. Um, I uh, have met um, plenty of pagans. Uh, in fact, some of the scariest people uh, I met in the book were self-described Hindus um, in Palmyra, New York. Uh, and I stopped because they were flying a all-black American flag. If you've seen this flag, it's not the black and black and white and blue, uh, blue odds matter flag. It's, it's just the American flag in all shades of black. Uh, it's another myth. Um, they believe it's from the civil war. It's not. Um, but what they say it is, is a flag of no quarter, no surrender. It means that in the coming civil war, which they want to happen, take no prisoners. If you're on the other side, kill everybody. In other words, it's a genocidal flag. So I knocked on the door, um, and uh, out came this couple that you would have thought were kind of hippie hipsters. And there was a big Buddha sticker on their door. And I was sort of surprised. And they said, oh, yeah, we're Hindus. Um, now, their understanding of Hinduism might be different. Although, of course, Hin- I mean, India right now is effectively a fascist government. Oh, we have, a, we have somebody who claims to be a native of India in the chat room who uh, yeah, I, I'm very surprised with everything she's saying. So I get it seems that that follows what you're saying. I mean, look, the, the, you know, Modi in India came to power in part on the strength of his involvement in mass killing right, mm-hmm. of, of, of Muslims. It's a global fascist movement. It's 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 everywhere at the same time. So when we speak of the Christianity of this movement of a Christian nationalism. A way that I find helpful to understand it is to actually draw on some reporting I did in, in Russia in 2013. I was talking when, about that before you came on. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, when Putin was 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 developing the anti-LGBTQ plus yep. crusade, that is, it's not this. Is, we need no conspiracy theory because, of course, Ron DeSantis is uh, a spokesperson has has openly expressed the admiration for those Eastern European sources. Um, so that was a campaign of a sort of a demonization of an enemy within. And, uh, and it was appealing to a Christian nationalist idea of Russia. Now, the crazy thing is, in Russia, you have single-digit uh, percentage church attendance. Huh. Russians huh. love the Russian Orthodox Church. They don't like to go. The militia members I met who said, we need prayer in the school. This is a Christian nation. and go to church. 
Ashley Babbitt, the central figure in my book, whose whose journey you might say began in Halloween in 2016 when she tweeted the first of 8,000 tweets. It was hashtag glove and Trump and followed up quickly uh, with a, a picture of a sign that said, Christians live here. Ashley wasn't a churchgoer. Ashley was, in fact, uh, she was queer in theory, if not in practice, or queer in, queer in practice, if not in name, forgive me. She lived with her husband and their girlfriend. Um, she was a beach bum. She lived in very blue South California. Her favorite president after Trump was Obama. Yeah, she voted um, for Obama twice, you say. And so she ha- loved Obama. Um, so and it's and it's not so I think, but and yet she became a Christian nationalist. She began to think of God wins. It didn't bring her to church. The Christianity of fascism is mythological, not theological. It is not the practice of a church in which we go and we hold each other accountable. We sing songs together. We don't all sing well, necessarily. <laughs> and yet we have to tolerate the person right. who sings next to us. Um, and I think that's that's the distinction we want to make. And I know there's people out there who say, oh, Christianity itself is the problem. Uh, no, it's, no, it's, it's what brand may, is this the same Christianity that you wrote about the people in the family who live on the house on C Street practice? I mean, I, I described that fundamentalism uh, of the family, this elite organization created in 1935 as an anti New Deal coalition of businessmen who believed the Depression was a punishment from God and have been influential ever since, arguably the most influential Christian conservative organization in Washington and many capitals around the world. And they believe that Christianity got it wrong for 2,000 years. This is their particular distinction, that by focusing on the poor and the down and out, we were missing the big picture, which was that God called us to serve those whom they called the up and out, these key men, right? And that they would then remake the kingdom. They would remake the land and and God's image. So I describe this as trickle-down fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the deal. When, when, When Trump comes down that golden escalator in 2015, here it comes trickling down. Um, it that very idea, which was, it is also a uh, an ends justifies the means fundamentalism. Um, this group has worked with fascists overseas for decades, mm-hmm. um, and yet they never quite crossed that line here until Trump. That's what I mean when I say these politics that we have been exporting to Philippines, to Brazil to countries that now have their own Trumps, the Trump of the Philippines, the Trump of Brazil. There's a there's a Buddhist monk in Myanmar who calls himself the Trump of Myanmar and has been instrumental in the genocide of the Rohingya Muslim people, oh, right? God. This becomes a meme that replicates itself uh, uh, around the globe. So yes, it is related to that po- those politics, um, but it's those politics made over from elite politics into a mass movement. And that's when we get fascism. Wow. So, uh, Jeff Charlotte, you uh, before we get to Ashley Babbitt, and I'm, I am sort of, uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, the story is just so weird. Before we get to her, though, I want to ask you, do you you open on a hopeful note and you close on a hopeful note and you talk about Harry Belafonte? Yeah. What is his connection with all of this? Uh, well, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, the book is uh, the, the book is bookended um, by two stories of hope, two stories of singers who are either forgotten or sort of worn smooth by time. Uh, I mean, I grew up singing Deo, the banana boat song, and If Day I Had I a Hammer come, by the, the Lee Hayes, who was the subject of the final 
chapter in elementary school. I didn't know they were radical songs. I didn't know they were freedom songs. And I put it there for two reasons. One, to, to remind us that the struggle is long, right? Uh, fascism has a, a central lie, which is an inevitability. And then out of inevitability springs the lie of crisis. I reject the term crisis. I don't think we're in a crisis of democracy. I don't think we're in a climate crisis. And here's why. It's a narrative problem. If that's the case, then the story is coming to an end. The big resolution, the big bang. Trump, who has embraced the language of the final battle, mm -hmm. fascism loves crisis. Now, the struggle is long. And it may be miserable, but it is long. And I began with Harry Belafonte, um, to remind us of that, man's 95, is 96, I think, still alive, still mad as hell. Good. Uh, but as he says, it's not so much where your anger comes from as what you do with it. And what do you do with it? You sing your song and then you give it away. You pass it on to the next one. You seek solidarity. So I wanted it there, but here's the other reason I put it there. The book's a long, dark journey, and I just didn't have it in me to begin in darkness and end in darkness. Um, I, I needed to start with, now Harry's story is not sweet. He gets chased through the Mississippi night and the Klan. His diagnosis of white supremacy is one of the sharpest I've ever heard. The idea of the minstrel act, corking up with blackface. Yeah. He says, all Americans do the minstrel act. He says, even he, Harry Belfonte, how could it be, is guilty of the minstrel act. Um, that inasmuch as white supremacy continues to shape our lives, we are engaged in the minstrel act. So he gave me that frame for understanding the way whiteness works that I was trying to explore throughout the rest of the book. Um, okay, I, I got that. And I appreciate it. It's hard. It's, it's hard to stay positive in the face of what's happening around us. And, and any dose of optimism that we can prevail that we can come through this whole is welcomed no, because I I've think we none need... of that. I've got none of that. We don't okay. come through. All. We're not coming We're not through coming at all. all. That will yeah, come through. Maybe it might come through. So, so, you know, in the book, uh, I use uh, one of my very favorite books. We're going on a bear hunt. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a children's book that I read to my kids. And as I was, I, uh, the long central story is I drive across the country and I've been driving and talk, I've been to militia churches and I've taught, I've had more guns pointed at me than I ever have in a reporting trip. There's been more guns out there. I'm, I'm a gun owner. I'm not afraid of guns, but there's more guns. I'm afraid when they're pointing at me. Sure. And I'm coming over the green mountains home to my home in Vermont is late at night and I'm exhausted. And I'm thinking about that children's book that I read to my, uh, uh, kids and it's called we're going on a bear hunt it has a refrain these kids are going to go on a they're not really going to hunt a bear they're just like let's go look for a bear but then they find a river well you can't go over it you can't go under you just got to go through it and then tall grass and and each obstacle you have to go through it that's what's going to happen that's what we're doing i say in the introduction to the book that usually an introduction is written you know looking back but we're in the middle of this bless you and we have to go through it and what we what it looks like when we get through it, we're not coming through it whole. Um, uh, when I say that I reject the idea of climate crisis, I don't mean that it's okay. I mean, climate crisis suggests that, well, it's going to get resolved this way or that way. No, it's going to get worse. Yeah, it's not getting spoiler, resolved. Yeah. It's going to get worse. Yeah. The question is, it's not so much where your anger comes from, but what do you do with it? How do you live with that? That's there's some things we are going to lose. There's some things we've already lost. 
we're not ever going to, we never had democracy and we're not going to go back to the right. way it was. Ugh. So we don't know yet the scale of that loss. That's yet to be determined, um, but we've got to go through it. Okay. Uh, all right. Still, you, you did bring some positivity, which is welcome. Well, yeah, because, because I believe I, that we can. I believe okay. that we can. I, I, and, and, and not only do I believe that we can, I think fascism wants us to believe in this sort of final battle. No. Harry, Harry fought his whole life. He was defeated. Mm. Right about Lee Hayes, Mighty Lee Hayes, uh, incredible singer, and Paul Robeson, the, the great baritone. Big souls, they were defeated. So that's your hope? Yeah. I think about it. If you let me borrow, again, I'm a, I'm a secular Jew like you, but let's borrow something from our Christian friends okay. uh, since we're just uh, uh, in the Easter season. Is uh, I, I think of the great Cornell West, uh, theologi- theologian and uh, uh, political thinker. And he describes our moment, our political condition, um, as uh, in between Good Friday and Easter. That's called Holy Saturday, right? Okay. Um, Good Friday, Christ is crucified. What? I thought you were the Messiah, and now you're dead. Easter, oh, it's all right. He's risen, okay? Holy Saturday, that's where we've been living for 2,000 years. Uh, limbo right what what, why hast thou forsaken me i thought you were coming through cornell west says right Mm -hmm. i think that's the moment the holy saturday moment it doesn't matter whether you're a christian or like me a jew or, or, or whatever else we are in we are in the darkness um uh the shape of the light ahead we can't yet fully imagine because we haven't seen it gotcha uh jeff charlotte Ashley Babbitt, you say she's the central figure in the book. Um, she was this Obama supporter who was, I'll say, radicalized. That's the only term I can use. And there she is at the Capitol. We saw it on television. The windows, first of all, they broke into the building. The Capitol was closed to the public that day. They broke in. It was not a typical tourist day. Then they're outside the House of Representatives chamber, and they break the glass in the door. There's a cop inside. Ashley Babbitt is halfway through the broken window, and the cop is there with a gun saying, get back. She keeps going. He shoots her, which to me is warranted. It's His... not actually. Oh, it's not? Nicole, okay, please. No, I mean, it's not. Um, here's the thing. Here, look, let me bottom line Ashley Babbitt for you, okay. whatever you think. Look, she's a domestic terrorist. There's no question of that. She's an insurrectionist. I know this. Mm-hmm. I have. I've read the, all the documents. I've interviewed her, her family's lawyer. I've talked to her family. I mean, yes, she was there to storm the Capitol. She was not unarmed, as Tucker Carlson will tell you. She had a uh, knife for the knife on the cover, the cover of your book. That's, right. that's her knife. And some people say, well, that's just, you know, a, a handy knife you carry. Try carrying that on a plane and tell me how far you get. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, and she was sort of leading a charge, right? And she was there to do damage, and she did. Um, however, um, and I think the, the, the bitterest irony is all of these folks, the re- very Republicans who are complaining that this cop's not being held accountable. You know why he's not being held accountable? Because they stopped the George Floyd, uh, police reform act, which would have closed that, that cop got excused on a loophole because you're not allowed. A cop is not allowed. Oh, you're, you're, you're standing over there with a knife. They're not allowed to shoot you. Hmm. Even if you're threatening the the House of Representatives, I mean, his job Absolutely is to guard. Not. Absolutely not. Absolutely. And look, you don't want to live in the country where that can happen. The <laughs> cops, 
he was able to shoot her because he said, I believed my life was in danger. You know who else said that? Daniel Perry down there right. in Texas. Right. Um, but cops don't stand your ground does not apply to cops. They, to, and I write about this in the book, and, and some people are saying, like, I don't want to hear Ashley Babbitt's excuse. She's not an excuse. She's a domestic terrorist. The story is the violence that she did. But let us not reply to that violence with the our own. Violence. I mean, there's, I, there's in the one, one uh, old man that I meet in the book in Leighton, Utah, the VFW, and I go in and I meet probably uh, the only non Trump supporter in Leighton, Utah, Republican. Uh, He's reading the newspaper and he's grumbling. And so I figure I know what he's about. And I say, oh, yeah, fake news. And fake news. He holds up the paper, which is very skinny because local papers are. He says, that's the problem. And he points to a phone. He says, that's the problem. He says, we don't have local news anymore. We're losing our democracy because we don't know. So this guy is great. I said, finally, I found a sane man until uh, he's arguing with his friend. They, they reenact Ashley Babbitt's killing, arguing about it. His friend, who is a champion of Ashley Babbitt, this guy sounds quite reasonable. He says, if I had been there, I had a machine gun, I just would have gone and shot them all. That's Kyle Rittenhouse logic. That's yeah. not what we want. I no. think, too, I write in the book about um, the thousands of comments you can find online that are gleeful. Not just Ashley Babbitt got killed. Huh. A fool. What a traitor. Yes, that's true. Um, but using violent misogynist language that I won't use uh, to describe her. Um, making fake accounts using that violent misogynist language. It's funny how even on the left, so many people, they get upset by someone that can only think of one part of the human body uh, with which to express their frustration. Um, this is not the way. The way, I think, and if I, the book is subtitled Scenes from a Slow Civil War, which mm -hmm. is what it is. I'm traveling the country. But it's also, in a sense, my attempt to figure out new ways to tell stories about fascism, because we have to, because the old ways right. haven't worked. We haven't, we haven't gotten there. So it's also an attempt to say, how do we, how do we look at the Ashley Babbitt story? How do, we, how do we understand not just what happened there, but I followed the myth, the martyr myth that formed out of it around yeah. the country. Because that's where, that's the poisonous gas that is really spreading out and causing more danger. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the whole martyrdom thing surrounding her and the lies. I mean, the, the, it, it, if, if listening to you, that they have a beef there, that she shouldn't have been killed. I, I don't know what. They don't know that. That's the funny thing. Those who are saying that, they don't know that. They think she shouldn't have been killed either because the cop who killed her was a black man. Wow. And so then they engage in that oldest American story, the lynching story. I, that's part of what led me into this, watching on January 6, 2021. And I saw the hands of the officer and they appeared to be of a black man and they were. Mm -hmm. I knew what they were going to do with it. I mean, it's an old story. That's so many lynchings were built around the idea of protecting innocent white womanhood from, yes. from black men. And you saw it in real time as they started to age Ashley backwards that um, she's, uh, she's 35-year-old uh, Air Force veteran. No, no, no. She's in her 20s. No, she's 16. She's just a little girl, um, a little white, innocent girl. and Who did nothing wrong. She wasn't breaking in. She wasn't because this is what they're saying. She didn't do oh, any of that. Yeah. And I don't think we really need to actually engage with it. You can't fact check a myth. That's one of the arguments in this book. And I think um, uh, as I 
dive into some of the deep mythology. I go to after, I, I, I go out to Sacramento, California to to the Ashley Babbitt uh, rally with her mother, and then I start going to a series of militia churches. And at one church, uh, and we may have talked about this before because I've been thinking about this for a mm-hmm. while. This is a key moment. The speaker, a prominent leader in the so-called sovereign citizen movement, this is the idea that, you know, every person is an island and that you can do whatever you want. Um, and uh, he tells them, he says that Trump is still president. Well, that's easy for them to believe because they hear it on Fox News, right? Um, then he says uh, Trump is, in fact, the 19th president because every president since Abe Lincoln, including Honest Abe, has been illegal. And I see some people, and this is a big Mega church. These are not looms. These are regular people. I met young college students and so on. Just a little kind of looking around because you know Trump does wear a hat that says forty five on yeah. it. But they were in the word. They were not in ordinary time. Fascism works on a kind of dream logic, a dream politic, dream politic, um, a kind of lucid dreaming. Um, wherein two things can be true at once, 45 and 19. Um, and so you go into that and you say, well, how do I reach that person, Nicole? How do I speak logic to them? You don't. Right. You don't. What do you do? You play your song, you sing your song and you give it away. You make <laughs> something more beautiful. That's what you do. You know, Jeff, again, you've, you've, lived this you've walked went through these things with them now i'm like it's like i said i'm here in florida we are seeing just You're living it. we are living it it's insane this governor thinks he is you know king he's certainly governing like he's a dictator not a governor um the stuff he's doing the war on lgbtq trans people uh, it's just horrific now you know you've seen this firsthand you wrote in your book um, about one of your children who's dealing with this. And this yeah. that's got to be, I mean, I, I've got a very dear friend who's a trans woman who, you know, I look at it through her eyes. But when it's a child of yours, it's got to be a whole different level of just harassment yeah. and fear, I would think, of what, what are they doing to us? The penultimate chapter of the book is called The Great Acceleration, after an idea that began on the left and has now migrated rightward, the idea of, of, of heightening the contradictions, to borrow an old Marxist phrase, of accelerating conflict. If you've ever heard of the Boogaloo Boys, these guys who believe in race war, and they're like, how can we, how can we strike more matches to get it started? That's accelerationism. And um, so that chapter is about Wisconsin, which uh, after uh, Dobbs, after Roe fell, became the only blue state in which abortion was completely illegal, reverted back to uh, 1849 law. Mm-hmm. I was in Wisconsin with my eldest child um, who was seeking uh, help for a health condition, uh, a mental health condition. And they, they believe in being upfront about that. I wouldn't talk about this if, if, if they didn't. And I think we need to, Um, but I couldn't spend, they were very busy with their program. So I couldn't spend all the time. So when I wasn't with them, I would drive around and I would talk. uh, I would talk to folks and a lot of people talked about kids and they talked about strange ideas about human biology, all these men and some women with very odd ideas about uh, how human reproduction works. Um, uh, they didn't know what, they were so terrified of their bodies. And that's, I think, is part of what's happening in this assault 
on trans kids. It's an assault on bodies. And what I, I do emphasize as a parent of a queer non-binary child, um, I occasionally encounter friends who are like, oh, it's so terrible for you. Um, what are you talking about? This is a war on childhood. And this is a war on cishet kids too. How so? Cishet kids in Kansas, which has passed a law, uh, general inspectors, it's yeah. beyond creepy, right? It's disgusting. Every child is being taught to be suspicious of their own body, to be suspicious of their peers' bodies. There are some young people who are queer and know who they are, and they're being told that they're an enemy of the state. Most young people aren't are figuring out who they are and they are being told you better be careful you better be very very careful and if we said well homophobia has always been around it sure has um but now here we are where it is the front line of the state assault it's not a quiet thing that the state doesn't want to talk about it's not mccarthyism of this pushing people out it is 20 states now my child is to some degree or, or the other potentially criminalized. That's a slow civil war. That's a conflict. And there are casualties, the suicide rate, which is incredible. Oh, horrible. There are casualties of the reason I call it the slow civil war is because there are casualties, not just these mass shootings, which we should not understand as lone wolf events, having read for the book, all these manifestos and seeing how they build on one another women and other pregnant people who are dying for lack of reproductive health care. And we hear every now and then one of those stories. One of the things you learn as a reporter is that any story of an outrageous thing that has happened, that's, that's the, we can only tell so many stories. That's yeah. the one that's making the news that's happening everywhere. If you're from a small rural state, like I am like Vermont, we have wrongful police killings, from time to time, not one of them ever makes the national news. Right. We don't have the media market. Mm. Um, there is so much violence already happening, but it doesn't have to accelerate. That idea of the great acceleration, that's another lie. It doesn't have to accelerate. Right. That is up to us. But you know what? While they're 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 criminalizing um, people dealing with their own sexuality, however is best for them, they're also... Trying to, they're, I mean, taking us back to the, to the dark ages. Um, the David is supposed to be covered up. A, a high school a, a principal in Florida got fired because uh, the, the a picture of the statue of David was shown in a yeah. classroom. Yeah. I mean, what, what are they doing to us? They are, this is a really scary thing. And on so many different levels from the, you know, on, on every level. Um, well, Nicole, I believe it's actually scarier than that. If only they were taking us back to the dark ages when, in fact, you could have nudity in art and it was fairly popular. Yeah. Uh, they're not taking us back. Well. And we have to remember, make America great again. Is, that's a myth of a country that never was. That's right. And never will be their imagination of this country. This is, in other words, a utopian project. Now, now probably some listeners know what utopia is. I thought utopia was the best place. Now, utopia means... Literally, the word means no place, a mm. place that can't exist. It is their imagination of an ideal state. Um, but it is a utopian project, and that helps us understand it's gesturing backwards and forwards at the same time, and that's why they can get pious traditional conservatives, and then they can get these transgressive uh, proud boys. They can even get, uh, I'm speaking to you from New York City, where the downtown art scene has its own hipster beautiful people fascist element now, right? You can draw all these. 
That's big gravity. You do that with a vision for a world that has never been, never will be, thank God. Um, but we need to contend with that because if we just say, ah, oh, they're just going backwards, you know, you know what the risk there is? We think, well, they're going to age out. Right. They just no. age out. We just right. sit tight and it'll go away. No, no, no. That's like saying democracy is something that you have. Right. No, it's something that you do. Right. And it's something that you have to, like a good relationship. You've got to work at it. You've got to fight yeah, for it. Right. right? You got to right. make, yeah, to yes, make it exactly. work. Exactly. Exactly. And, and which is our relationship with each other as, 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 as fellow people. It's why we are called to be in solidarity with those who are on the front lines, trans kids. I yes. think of this, the book is organized into three songs, a Harry Belfente song, uh, um, Deo, which was really a radical freedom song learned on the docks in Jamaica. The third section on survival. Good night, Irene. Good night, hmm. Irene. What are you talking about? Also a secret radical song from a from a long struggle. In between, for the Trump scene, Dream On by Aerosmith, which is a great song. I love I love Aerosmith. I grew up on that. I grew up in classic rock, but um, it expresses the vanity and the delusion. But there's one more song in the book that I write about, which is an old labor ballad uh, from Bloody Harlan, Harlan County, Kentucky. This is when coal miners were the, when they were the front line, when they were the front line of the assault of the state. You know, the very use of air, first use of air power in the United States was stra strafing, striking coal miners. And a woman named Florence Reese wrote a song called Which Side Are You On? Oh, sure. There are no neutrals there. We all want to think, hey, can't we have common ground? Mm -hmm. But we have the fascists that forced a which side are you on movement moment. And the clearest way I can say this is that we have now every weekend and sometimes more often around the country, lines of gunmen outside of schools, libraries, hospitals, churches, with AR-15s and inside there are kids with guns, which or forgive me, not kids with guns, kids without guns. There's men with guns outside, right. kids with stories. Which side are you on? And you say, oh, I'll stand in the middle. Great. You want to stand in the middle with the in front of the guns? That's not smart. Um, you're going to have to choose. Are you with the men with guns? Are you with the kids with stories? I'll take the kids every day. Uh, Jeff Charlotte, you've written some really, really important books. This one um, is, is must read. It's The Undertow, Scenes from a Slow Civil War. We all need to realize what's happening in order to to have any chance to to survive against it, uh, we've we've all got to be in this. Got to pick a side, all right? Yeah. Thank you so Thanks, much. Nicole. It's always great to talk to you. I really um, really appreciate it, and and thank you for this work, and thank you for your um, bringing yourself into it. Um, you, you, I think you did a lot of good for a lot of people. Thank you, Nicole. Take always care. a pleasure. You too. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff Charlotte again. The book, The Undertow, scenes from a slow civil war, and it is. Oh, um, wow. Okay. I, I'm just going to end right there. I got a lot to digest there. I got to finish reading the book because I'm only partially into it, but it is powerful. And everything he writes is so, so important. Um, I'll tell you, I'm grateful for a lot of things right now. Really, really grateful for Jeff Charlotte. Um, I don't know. He's more optimistic than I am. Because I'm not at all. I'm honestly scared shitless. I don't know that we'll survive this. I do believe it's a civil war. It may be slow, but um, it, uh, it's frightening. And um, 
you know, he ends on a positive note. I'll end on a negative note. I think it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. And we better be prepared. And I don't know what that looks like. Maybe that's a topic for another day. Thank you for listening. Thank you for opening your mind to this and understanding what's going on. Because too many people put on blinders. Oh, Justice Jones. Well, okay. So I, I should have brought this up with Jeff here. But Justice Justin Jones, the, 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 the uh, Nashville City Council voted to reinstate him. 36 to 0. The legislature has said they will not. So there's going to be a fight here. Now, Justin Pearson represents Memphis. The Memphis City Council uh, meets on Wednesday, and they are um, uh, going to do the same thing. Now the question is the legislature. Do they put up a fight? They say, no, we're not letting them back in. I think the Civil War might be sped up a little bit if they don't. Okay, Um, until tomorrow. Uh, uh, This is important conversations we're having. We're not coming up with any solutions, but having the conversation is very, very important too. Um, So we continue, and we'll we'll continue tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. Nothing like issuing an after-hours ruling on Good Friday, no less, to strip essential rights from women. But that's exactly what U.S. District Court Judge Matthew Kaczmarek of Texas did. The Trump-appointed judge pulled the FDA approval of Mifeprestone, a key abortion drug, after it had been on the market for over 20 years. By the way, the judge, not a doctor, not a scientist, has no standing in the medical community. And he waited over two weeks to do this after business hours on the Friday leading into the Easter holiday weekend. Lovely. Thankfully, just moments later, U.S. District Judge Thomas O. Rice, an Obama appointee, ordered the FDA not make any changes to Mifeprestone access in the 17 states that are suing to block its access. The battle could potentially wind up before the very right-wing Supreme Court. In the meantime, Health and Human Service Secretary Javier Becerra told CNN on Sunday, quote, everything is on the table. He's emphasizing that the Biden administration is considering all options to protect access to the procedure. In other news, all eyes are on what's happening in the Tennessee state capitol, where Nashville officials are poised to begin the week with a vote today to reinstate Justin Jones one of the two black Democratic lawmakers expelled by Republican colleagues for their gun control protest on the Tennessee House floor after a deadly school shooting. This would essentially send Jones back after a long weekend. The other expelled representative, Justin Pearson, who represents Memphis, could be reappointed at a Wednesday meeting of the Shelby County Commission. Under the Tennessee state constitution, an interim successor can be appointed by the legislative body of the expelled member's county until a special election is held. Special elections for the seats which have not yet been set will take place in the coming months. Jones and Pearson have both said they want to be reappointed and plan to run to get their seats back. Meanwhile, as they were leaving Nashville for a flight to New York, Who happened to be on the plane with the Tennessee Three? None other than Joan Baez, who joined Representative Jones in a song.
We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. So the House and Senate are both out this week, and President Biden heads to Ireland in the U.K. on Tuesday. That marks the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement that ended decades of fighting in Northern Ireland. So wait a minute. They had a Good Friday Agreement. We get a Good Friday extrajudicial ruling from a Trump-appointed judge in Texas taking away women's rights? Sounds about right. The Department of Justice has opened an investigation into the leaks of a trove of apparent U.S. intelligence documents that were posted on social media in recent weeks. The documents revealed the U.S. efforts in spying on Russia, while also exposing the extent of U.S. eavesdropping on key allies, including South Korea, Israel, and Ukraine. The documents appeared last month on the social media platform Discord, also on Telegram, a platform widely used in Russia. The Pentagon has initiated an interagency effort to determine the source of the leaks and assess their impact. Tensions are flaring as China sent a mass of warships and fighter jets toward Taiwan on Saturday as a show of force after a meeting between the Taiwanese president and U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. The two met this past week to show support for Taiwan's sovereignty as intimidation by China continues to build. After the meeting, Chinese military warships, along with at least 70 warplanes, were detected near Taiwan, including some near the Taiwan Strait median line that unofficially divides China and Taiwan. At least one of the ships reportedly fired around as it passed near one of the Taiwanese islands. A U.S. appeals court ruled Friday that an Indiana high school did not break the law by forcing a music teacher to quit after he refused to use a transgender student's preferred name on the basis of religious beliefs. The court said that the religious rights of the teacher were trumped by the potential disruption that his beliefs could cause at the high school in this Indianapolis suburb. The teacher John Klug, had claimed that his Christian beliefs did not allow him to use transgender students' preferred names and pronouns, and he said he resigned in 2018 after being told he'd be fired. Win one for the good guys, I guess. Back to Texas for a moment, where the governor on Saturday said he would pardon Daniel Perry, a man who'd been found guilty of murder just the day before in the death of a Black Lives Matter protester. Abbott, writing on Twitter, quote, Texas has one of the strongest stand-your-ground laws of self-defense that cannot be nullified by a jury or progressive district attorney. The Texas governor then added that he could only pardon someone following the recommendation of a parole board. So he said, quote, I've made that request and instructed the board to expedite its review. Perry was convicted of shooting and killing Garrett Foster in 2020 after Foster approached his car with a gun while among a group of Black Lives Matter activists. Open carry is legal in Texas, just saying. Well, new facts are surfacing regarding Harlan Crow, the Republican billionaire and mega donor to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Crow has a collection of Adolf Hitler artifacts and Nazi memorabilia on display at his home. The extent of the collection is truly disturbing. Meanwhile, Justice Thomas said he was advised that there was no need to report the lavish trips he took for years with Crow while serving on the high court and that he would do so in the future. Oh, how nice of him. 
He said that, quote, this sort of personal hospitality from close personal friends was not something that needed to be reported under the court's guidelines at the time. Well, the Thomases and the Crows were not close personal friends before Thomas was seated on the Supreme Court. Just saying. And this just in breaking news out of Louisville, Kentucky, where Metro Police now say they're responding to a, quote, active aggressor on East Main Street in downtown, adding, quote, there are multiple casualties. How else do you start a new week in America? Unreal. And that's just a bit of what's news for now. I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports and the Nicole Sandler Show, I hope you'll consider making a contribution. My work is listener-supported, and I can't do it without your help. Find out more at NicoleSandler.com, and please click on the Donate button.